Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Gina. And I'm Nicole. And today we are dishing out another episode as part of our self-care series. Today we are focusing on cancer screenings. All right. And of course, before, as I always like to say before we begin, just a quick favor to ask, since you like this podcast, please write us a review. Reviews on iTunes are everything to us and they really help us reach more people. So of course, we appreciate it so much. So today's show, as I said, is part of our self-care series. Once a month, we'll be focusing on a new area of self-care. Life gets overwhelming for all of us, and the sense of getting lost in a sea of to-dos, worry, and anxiety seems inevitable. Self-care can be described as the active process of making your body and mind a pleasant place to inhabit by filling your own cup first, which ensures you have enough to give others. So an important part of your self-care routine is taking charge of your physical health and getting yearly checkups, but in addition to that, there are certain cancer screenings that we should be considering from year to year. Before we go into the recommendations, the truth is our healthcare system is a bit broken. And if you listen to our episode with Elise Resch, she said just a few weeks ago that balanced eating and exercise are important as we talk about this numerous times on on this podcast, but the true determinants of our health are skewed in favor of those who can afford it. It's really the social determinants of health Um, finances being a large part of that, that have a huge impact on how long we will live and be healthy and well. As we talk about yearly cancer screenings today, we want to make it clear that we acknowledge that we're coming to you as two privileged women who can afford regular checkups and the luxury of a screening that some people either A, don't get covered within their insurance, or B, don't even know they need because they don't have access to specialists who might tell them more about their risk for certain cancers. Today, we are simply giving some basic advice and guidance that you may or may not choose to follow, um, but we're still going to give it, and we hope you learn some things. All right. We're going to start with some screening recommendations, and as you're probably aware of, they do differ a bit from men and women, and, and also depending on what age you are. So a lot of the information we got today is from cancer.org, which is the American Cancer Society. They've got some really great information on screenings at different ages for men versus women. And we will link these all in our show notes if you want some more information. But briefly, a roundup of some general guidelines. And of course, keep in mind that most of these guidelines will change depending on your family history. But starting at age 40, a mammogram every one to two years for women. And then starting when you're sexually active or age 21, a cervical cancer test, which is a pap smear. Starting at age 45, every one to three years, a colorectal cancer screening. Skin exam yearly if you're at high risk. Lung cancer screening if at high risk. Mouth cancer evaluation at your dental exam twice a year, which I will tell you, I went to the same dentist for my entire life, and I only just now have a dentist over the past five years who does a mouth cancer screening on me every year, and it just involves an in-depth look at my mouth, which we'll talk about in a a bit here. 
a yearly eye exam, which will include a screening for glaucoma, which is not cancer, but still important. Uh, Men need to consider two major cancers that are unique to them, and that is prostate, for which screenings start at age 45, and that is if there's a strong family history, if there isn't a strong family history, age 50, and then testicular cancer, which is actually much more common in young men and involves a self-exam similar to breast exams, and there's no standard screening in place, which I actually just learned from doing some research for this episode. Also, it's important to note from the American Cancer Society that the benefits of screening tests should be weighed against any risk of the tests themselves. Risks may include anxiety, pain, bleeding, or other side effects. Also, screening isn't perfect. Sometimes screening misses cancer, and sometimes it finds something suspicious that turns out to be harmless, which are called false positives. That's where the anxiety might come in. But still, they need to be checked out through additional tests, and they might also carry risks and may cause more stress and anxiety. That being said, let's let's get into some of our discussion questions. Nicole, do you have a family history of any cancer? I know we've talked about this a little bit on this podcast, but what do you want to tell us about (laughs) your, your cancer family history? I want to tell you that in truth, I reached out to my mom just to be sure that I had this correct. (laughs) That's good. I didn't know this either. Yeah. Yeah. In my immediate family, my my father does have prostate cancer. I believe I've shared that on the show. He had um, just, there's a lot of ways to treat prostate cancer. And it it really depends on, of course, all of that. But he had the radioactive seeds implanted, which was um, ha- has kept it at bay pretty well. Uh, but other than that, my maternal grandmother passed when my mom was very, very young. I believe she was seven. Uh, So she passed in 1962 um, of lung cancer. And it is noteworthy that she was a smoker. And then on my dad's side, it's definitely more, it's, there's no known cancer. It's cardiac kind of health concerns. His mom having suffered from strokes, a a stroke in her 30s, and then subsequent TIAs uh, over the years that followed. Um, But her cause of death was actually dementia or Alzheimer's. And then, um, my paternal grandfather died um, from heart disease. He had numerous heart attacks. So uh, the cancer seems to be more on, um, well, I can't, I can't say my mom's side because my dad does have cancer. So um, mm-hmm. an, w- one parent with cancer and then one grandparent that had cancer. Okay. All right. Yourself? Yeah. And the only reason I know all this is because I did genetic counseling. And so I realized at a young age that cancer was pretty rampant throughout my family. And I think that was one of the reasons why I got into dietetics because I was just so fascinated and I wanted to see what I could do to prevent it. I also have heart disease in my family. Um, but I went to a genetic counselor, which I've, I've mentioned a few times. Uh, basically, a genetic counselor can evaluate your individual risk of getting certain types of cancer based on your family's medical history. They also explain which genetic tests can give you more information about your risk level. And just, I'm really hoping that both of my parents actually do. So I did genetic counseling. I haven't done genetic testing yet. That's just, that's kind of the next step. So after I went to the genetic counselor, they suggested, okay, with your family history, which I'll talk about in a second, you probably should get some genetic testing to test for what genes you might carry. But in order for that test to be even more efficient and effective, your parents should get it first. So we can maybe even narrow down which genes to be testing for even more. 
So I'm really hoping that they jump on this and they and they get on doing this testing. But I've been asking them. I'm not sure if they're going to do it. I'm pretty sure my mom will do it. It's really convincing my dad to do it. That's the important thing. But uh, talking about my family history of cancer, my greatest risk right now is breast cancer, I would say, because I've got breast cancer on both my mom and my dad's side and then prostate cancer on both sides of the family too, which I've mentioned before that they are linked. I did, I found this out during my genetic counseling visit that if, you know, I, I don't know how they're linked, but the, if you've got someone who has prostate cancer in your family, you are at greater risk of, of breast cancer. And I can't even explain the mechanism there or what's going on there, but they, the two are linked in, in some way. I didn't get too much detail on that. Um, but I do have no one in my immediate family has cancer. So no, no father, my mom or, or dad do not have cancer, but both my mom and dad. So my maternal grandfather had prostate cancer. And then my paternal grandmother had breast cancer. And my paternal grandfather actually had colon cancer. Mm. So my dad did have to start getting cancer screenings, colon cancer screenings at age 45 because of his, his greater risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far, both of my dad's sisters are free of cancer, which is great because I do think about that. But his aunts both also had breast cancer. So I do have a lot of breast cancer in my family. So it's something that I'm thinking about quite often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my aunt on my, on my mom's side also had breast cancer. So lots mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are, I don't think anyone died from breast cancer, which is, which is important to note. So that's, that's good. Um, all right. So what cancer screenings do you, Nicole, get regularly? Uh, a few years ago, I started with an annual full body dermatology skin cancer screening. Um, and I've, I've been very good about that going annually. Mm-hmm. Um, admittedly, I'm not good about sunscreen with the exception of my face. I, I'm getting better every year. Um, and I, I know you're going to talk about that a little bit too. Uh, I, this is just a recent thing. Maybe it was preparing for today's show. Just kind of like, I don't know, but I did do a a breast exam this week and I don't know, Mark agrees with me. There's just something like firmer, not overly concerning, but so I would, I'm seeing my PCP next month, early next month in like three weeks. So I would like to request a MAMO just due to that firm. I just good peace of mind, just good peace of mind. Um, Annual PAPs? Are we going there yet? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring that up in a second. I have, okay. I have a little bit to, to talk about that. Well, you can talk about it. Do you get an annual PAP smear? Yes. Okay. So you you get the full on, not just like an eval, a full on PAP smear every year. Yes. Like they put that thing in there, they crank it open, the, they the do duck, the scraping. Yeah, the duck beak. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the duck beak. That's a good way to describe it. Ugh. Okay. Every I know. I know. And. I know they say it's not painful. I'm not complaining, but it yeah. is kind of painful. Yeah, I, I don't find it. It's uncomfortable. I wouldn't call it painful. I would say it's just uncomfortable in my personal opinion. I, have I don't a enjoy sensitive it. Sensitive cervix. I think Do it you? hurt. I don't know. Okay. Apparently, I don't know. It. I. 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 It's definitely uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah. So I do do that, and then they do a breast exam there as well. Um, okay. Yeah. I think that's. Do you get your pap through your gynecologist or through your PCP? I do it for my through my gyne- gynecologist. Yeah, um, and I know Who's a lot like of people really attractive, by the way. Oh, fun! Yeah, yeah. he's <laughs> hot. <laughs> my my husband Nick calls him the Greek god. <laughs> oh yeah, my PCP growing up. Yeah, totally a Greek god. He's so hot. <laughs> um, 
Okay, we digress. Um, yeah. And then I one thing I just added is I would say I'm good about just annual blood work, which includes a CBC mm. or complete blood count, uh, which doesn't detect a whole lot of cancers, but any type of, well, I shouldn't say any type, some blood cancers like leukemia would be detected mm. using that test. Um, so yeah. And, yeah. and any abnormal cell, it's, it's just something, right? It's a part of if you have annual blood work, it's going to include that. And Sure, it's not a catch-all for you know cancer certainly by any stretch, but it is another form of cancer screening. I would say. Sure, wouldn't but, it be nice if it was? If you could just you know get a few vials of blood right? and test for all the cancers, man. One day, one day. <laughs> all right, so, <laughs> all right, so going back to the question, I would say after my genetic counseling visit, here's the thing. I talked about this briefly on the podcast before, but I now have to get a medical breast exam twice a year, which is really intense. I mean, it's. It's it goes like 10 steps beyond what you get in your gyno when they just kind of rub your breasts for five seconds. This is like a full on five minutes of massaging my breasts to see if there's anything there, <laughs> which which for me basically means massaging my chest because there's <laughs> nothing there. Anyway, I also have to start getting mammograms once a year. I'm 38 just for, you know, so, so you know, I'm not quite 40, um, but based on my family history, like I just mentioned, they do suggest um, that I start getting mammograms at this age once a year, which to be honest, I've already had a couple, so it's not that big of a deal. Uh, and I would say they also suggested because I have very dense breasts, I will likely need an MRI as well since dense tissue in your breasts and cancer tend to look really, really similar on an ultrasound. So because sometimes it's harder to determine and decipher the two, an extra MRI might be needed. Um, so here's the thing about having dense breasts, even though, and I think this is, I actually asked her this and okay, so I have really tiny breasts. Like there's nothing there except for dense tissue. Like I have zero fat in my breasts whatsoever. It's literally just dense tissue, which is essentially, she said why I made so much breast milk. So I guess the dense breast tissue has a lot to do with how many breast ducts you have, milk ducts you have, which is why I was a quote unquote milk goddess. So, I mean, there's pros and cons to be, to having dense breasts, I guess. Um, anyway, I'm picturing so, them not like bouncing at all. Do your boobs not bounce? No, there's nothing to bounce. No, there's no bouncing. <laughs> I would like some bounce. I wish I had some bounce. I'm not going to lie. I, I wish I had that bounce, but I know there's no bouncing. Like I've told I told you before, I don't need to wear a sports bra. Like there's, I just wear them because I mean, I feel like I should. So my nipples don't show. <laughs> I guess I feel like these dense breasts, I, I think of just like little like porn star boobs. Like they're just like, I don't know, just like so perky. Well, they are very and... perky. Oh, very perky. Oh, yes. That's the one benefit of having small boobs. Well, there's actually, there's a couple of benefits. I shouldn't say one, um, but one of them is definitely, they will never sag. <laughs> um, okay, moving on. So <laughs> be, beyond the boobs, I also get screened for skin cancer yearly, which I actually just did recently. I do pay for that out of pocket. My my insurance does not cover that, which I think is crazy because they they say they cover all preventative care. And I'm like, isn't a cancer, a, a skin check preventative? I Maybe because I don't have, a, although I do actually have melanoma in my family, although it's um, on my maternal side, and it's my mom's sister who grew up on a farm for her entire life. So, I mean, I kind of want to say that that probably has a lot to do with it, kind of like it sounds like your grandma maybe had lung cancer because she was a smoker. So it wasn't completely random. I'd be more concerned if it was someone who, you know, never went outside and ended up getting, you know, mel uh, mel melanoma. But anyway, she was a farmer. She still is, actually. 
But anyway, I get my my skin checked once a year. I do have to pay for that out of out of pocket. It's not cheap. It's like 150 bucks. So I know I'm very I'm definitely privileged for being able to do that. My dentist does a quick check for mouth cancer, and what that means is he just pulls my my um, mouth cheeks up and just kind of does like a one minute sixty second swab with you know one of those mouth swabs and just kind of looks to see if has looks under my tongue just looking for things and. I think that he honestly does that because I don't know if it's because he does it for Nick, my husband, because he dipped for about 15 years. I know he does it for him because of that. And I don't know if he just does it to me because he does it for Nick or if he does that for any for everyone. But he is pretty conservative. So I want to I'd want to say he does that for everyone. But I do not worry about mouth cancer, quite honestly. Uh, One do, thing before you go on yeah. for mouth. Uh-huh. You mentioned that this is the first dentist that you've had that did the cancer screening. Yeah. And my current dentist who I've had for, I don't know, five years, same way. I get okay. a cancer screening. His is, oh. he asked me to stick out my tongue and he kind of like grabs it with gauze. Yes. So, so it's under the tongue. Yes. Yeah. He like wraps gauze around it. And then he, yeah, I, I feel like a, like a cartoon or something like he's like, like just like pulling my cheek, like fairly aggressively and like rotating my tongue. I mean, just so he can get a good view of everywhere, I guess. But mm-hmm. that's interesting that you and I both had that experience. Maybe that's a new thing for Dennis. I'm thinking it might be. Maybe it wasn't on the you know curriculum before and now they've added it because he is a younger dentist, whereas my p- previous ones have been older. Of course, they. I know they have continuing education. They would have learned it. But yeah, I, I do. This is new for me. <laughs> yeah. All right. So moving on. Oh, yearly pap smear. So I do get a pap smear yearly. I will put a link in the show notes from Dr. Hirsch, Heather Hirsch. She was on our podcast previously. She is actually not a proponent of yearly pap smears. But I will say my gynecologist, the the Greek God, definitely is. (laughs) He says a pap smear is a great way to find issues before they turn into cancer. And it's one of the few screenings that can actually prevent cancer before it starts by looking for abnormalities. So he basically says, why wouldn't you do it every year? My insurance covers it every year and maybe not everyone's does, but he basically is saying to me, Gina, there is no need to wait every five years. It's like one of the few screenings that can actually prevent it rather than catching it after it already started. Mm-hmm. So I thought that made so much sense. But anyway, I will put the link in the show notes to Dr. Hirsch's podcast. Hers was, her take was also quite interesting. And she also had a lot of great information about pap smears in general. Mm-hmm. I did go back and listen to that. It was it was actually just a really well done podcast episode, although I don't agree with her every five year recommendation personally based off of what my own gynecologist says. One right. thing, Gina. OK, yeah. So you mentioned ahead. cost with the skin and the um, pap. Yeah. OK, when I think of cost in healthcare, mammograms is something that I think of as being substantially more expensive as far as a screening measure. Mm-hmm. Do you have an out-of-pocket cost for your mammos? I do. Yeah, I do. So is, I think it's because I'm not 40. Cover it? I think it's because I'm not 40. And I and I don't know that for a fact, but I want to say because I'm not yet 40, my insurance does not cover it. It does, though, cover it after I've met my deductible, like 80% of it. But I mean, if I haven't met my my deductible and I find a lump, I'm pretty sure I have to pay it out of pocket. Yeah, I'm just Googling how much a, a mammogram is. I want to say it was about $500. See, I guess I would have thought even more potentially. Mm, uh, I think I paid, I want to say the first time I got it done, which I believe I'd already 
I think it was right after I had Cameron. So I feel like I had reached my deductible by then. And uh, I'm pretty sure I paid like $300 or something. So maybe it was actually ended up being, maybe it was actually more than 500 because $300 is not 80 or 20% of 500. I can't do the math, but, and I'm sure it differs depending on where oh, you go. No. Okay. This, I don't, Google. I don't. It's a, okay. the national yeah. average cost for a diagnostic mammogram is about four ninety nine without insurance. I don't even know if that's from a credible source, but that's what mm. you said, so that's interesting. Mm. And then it says yeah. with insurance is about a hundred dollars, as low as eighty, as high as two fifty. Mm. Well, it depends on what your insurance yeah, sure, covers, sure, sure. but yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, I would have thought more because how long is a mammogram? How how long does it take? Yeah. Well, it takes a lot longer than your 15 second eyebrow wax. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I think I will tell you because my boobs are so small, like they had to like like shove me into that machine. I mean, they had to, and you have to hold your breath for a certain amount of time, which is not easy. You have to hold your breath. Don't breathe. Don't breathe. Don't breathe. And then let it out. And it probably took about 15, 20 minutes at most, I want to say. So not long. Okay, I was thinking longer. No. Because it, it, I mean, there's imaging equipment as well. So I don't know. Anyway. Then you have to sit around and wait for them to read your, the, you know, the radiologist to look at your results or look at the, hmm. whatever it's called, the radiology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then come in and tell you what they found or if they found anything and kind of what the next steps are. Okay. Sorry, I was yeah. just curious because I yeah. guess personally, if I'm to go for a mammogram, I'm, I'm younger than you, Gina. I'm only <laughs> 36. Um, but I, for peace of mind, I think it's well worth the cost. So, yes, cool. I agree. But again, we're privileged to be able to we say are. that. Not Absolutely. Everyone. I mean, that's a lot of money. It's, it is. It's it a ton is. of money. So do you give yourself a monthly breast exam, Nicole? Mm. <laughs> no, I, I'm yeah, ish. I, I'm not as routine about it as in not a set time, which I know should be after my period. What is it? A week after my period or just after? Yeah. Like around ovulation. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So seven to 10 days after period. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I tend to do it when I'm laying in bed, just kind of like chit-chatting with Mark. If I'm being honest, it's probably like every other month and perhaps not as thorough as it should be. Uh, but I think I'll just start putting in my Outlook calendar. But as you probably know, I have very irregular periods. Like I may go from like a 20 eight 29 day cycle to like a 47 day cycle. It's they're oh, wow. all over the place. So that may not be as helpful, but I guess doing it at any point in the month is better than doing it around ovulation. So, um, but I, I, I do do them perhaps not as often or as comprehensively as I should. Mm-hmm. See, the only downside to doing them randomly and not knowing when your period is coming is because if you're maybe about to start your period and you do a breast exam, you might find something that ends up just being normal, you know, what are they called? I can't even remember what the name that they gave it, but like normal lumps that are, or... yeah, yeah, that's not the name, but something like that in your breast, which you develop usually before your period. Mm-hmm. Because I've been tricked by those several times until someone actually told me, don't do a breast exam right before your period. And I am very, very regular. Like my cycle is 28 days to a T. I mean, almost, it's almost laughable how, you know, regular I am. So I'm, it's very easy for me to figure out when to do, to do mine, which is helpful, but also I've put it on my outlook calendar, you know, like every 28 days, but still it ends up somehow not like I'll get five months in and it ends up 
it'll say breast exam on like a day that I'm on my period. I don't know how that works. It's like, you know, <laughs> calendars. I don't know. I'm like, I swear I have my period every four weeks. So why isn't this matching up? Doesn't matter. Uh, but I, I do breast exams every month generally. And like you, I'm probably not doing it correctly. I'm probably not thorough enough, but the truth is I get very scared that I'm going to find something. And I know this is a problem that many women have. So I don't think I press down well enough. Sometimes I'll do it without putting my arm up. And I do have a friend. uh, She's actually a radiologist. And I said to her, I said, does it really make a difference if you put up your arm? And she said, yes, you should always do a breast exam with your arm up because it sort of stretches out the tendons in your breast so you can actually feel a lump in there. Hmm. So, and I, and I agree, I feel much more when I put my arm up. That's why I try and I, I, I'm like afraid to put my arm up. Um, but honestly, because my breasts are so dense and small, I, I tend to find something quote unquote, every time I do an exam. Like I said, I've already had two mammograms because of lumps that I found, which turned out just to be dense tissue, mm-hmm. but they feel like lumps. And Actually, when I went and got my medical breast exam last time, I was so disappointed in the help that the lady did not give me. I said to her, can you just help me figure out how to, fig- how to determine this, you know, dense tissue lump versus an actual breast, you know, cancer, cancerous um, lump? She did not give me a good answer at all. She was like, well, I don't even remember what she said, but I just remember being kind of perturbed by her answer. Like that was not helpful at all. Thank you so much. But I think and a, a kind of a good way to think of it is if it's cancerous, it won't really move. It'll kind of like be stuck in place. Uh, so kind of like try to wiggle it around in there. And if it can kind of move back and forth, I'm not saying that it's not cancer, but that's a better sign versus if it sort of seems to be stuck in place, which I know that's hard to describe and make sense, but I kind of understand that I, my, Mother or my sister-in-law is also an oncology surgeon and she used to do breasts. So I'm, I just wish she lived in Columbus. I'd have her come over here like all the time, like feel this, feel this, but she doesn't. She lives in Charlotte. So, so sad, mm. but I, I probably will be, I'm, I'm glad I have to get a mammogram every year because I, I feel like I probably need it. I'm always feeling something in there. Ugh. And I'll Dr. Hirsch, she time. did a good job of explaining how to do a, a thorough breast exam. That is true. She she, did she absolutely did. And I think I put her, no, I did not. I'll, we'll have to link her episode in the show notes. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, have you had any cancer screenings earlier than the recommendation because of family history or something else? Uh, other than skin cancer screenings that I started at, because there's no certain age for those, right? No. Okay. 32 is when I started. Um, and, and similar to yourself because of previous tanning bed use um, mm-hmm. and general, I'll, I'll call it sunscreen noncompliance. Um, <laughs> but other than that, no. However, I, I can't imagine going another four years without a mammogram at this stage. Yeah. So I, I will start those at early. Yeah. And, and, and I did. I've already said that. I definitely started mammograms. I think I got my first one at 36. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say I've chosen to do yearly skin exams based on, like I said, family history of melanoma and my personal history with tanning beds. I hate to admit it. Now, the good thing I will say, this is my vanity speaking here, but when I was, I don't know, I had bad zits when I was in high school. So I would always cover my face because I knew that the tanning bed would like make me break out on my face. So I always covered my face. Thank goodness. Um, wrinkles be gone. Uh, but of course, skin cancer. <laughs> It could be anywhere on my body because of the years of tanning bed that 
years of using tanning beds that I that I put my body through, which is just really so unfortunate. And that's it. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to end by pointing out some of our past episodes on cancer. Uh, I, like we said, I will put Dr. Hirsch's episode in our show notes, but it is episode 92. She doesn't talk about cancer per se, but she does, you're right, give a good description of how to give a, um, uh, a breast exam to yourself, a self-exam. And then also she gives a little bit of information about pap smears, which we will also link to that her own podcast episode in our show notes. Episode 29 of ours is about busting soy myths, specifically with regards to breast cancer, but also other soy myths that are out there. And then episode 70 was Dr. Siren on breast cancer prevention tips, which was a really, really great one. All right, moving Maybe she was on. the one that did the breast cancer Yeah, exam. as I said, I think you might be right, actually. As I was saying that, I'm pretty sure it was Dr. Siren because I don't know why we would have had Dr. Hirsch talk about because we were actually talking about perimenopause with Dr. Hirsch. So you're yeah. right. I think it was episode 70, Dr. Siren, that talked about the the breast exam. Oh my gosh, all these amazing doctors on the show. Just can't keep them no. all straight. <laughs> can't keep any of our episodes straight because we've got so many great ones out there. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, we'll, we'll put all three of those plus Dr. Hirsch's episode um, that she did on her own in our show notes. All right. Well, coming up on November 7th, we will be dishing about uh, my I'll be dishing, I'm sorry, with my parenting coach. I like to call her my parenting coach, Terry Manrique. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitian's Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. Check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets, such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. And if you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. All right, everyone, until next time, be well and talk to you soon, Nicole. Bye-bye, Gina. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.